Hello and welcome to Foundation Stones from Refuge City Church. Having a solid foundation for our walk with Jesus Christ is vital for every Christian, especially in the times we live in. Through God's word, candid conversations, and everyday application, the aim is to help you build your foundation so you can stand strong for God every day. Buckle in and prepare your heart. Pray this, God, ready my heart for your truth that I might be more like you. We hope today's episode empowers you to grow in your walk with Jesus. Let's dive in. I'd like for you today, if you would, to turn into Matthew chapter 6. I've had something resonating on my heart for the last several weeks that, to be transparent, is, is a pretty difficult word for me to preach because I, I'm going to be transparent with you. I'm still working this out in my own personal life. So sometimes the best messages you hear are the messages that the pastor is preaching to himself. And so today I want you to know that this is something that I'm trying to work into my spirit as the Holy Spirit is revealing to me. It's kind of like as Pastor Sherry shared on Wednesday, there's something about the process, the, the, the uh, work that is happening in the deliverer's heart that makes it something that's authentic. And I hope today that what I share with you sets on your heart and it's something that you can uh, leave this place with later on and recognize the power and the importance of it. Amen? Matthew 6.33, we know it by heart but I wanted to read it out of the scripture. I wanted you to read it off of the pages of your Bible if you have it with you. It says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. We're gonna spend a lot of time in Matthew chapter six today, but there in this key verse is something that is so important. There's a word in this verse that I think if we're not careful, we can miss. And it's the word first. Can everybody say that with me? First. 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 Just kind of put a pin in that. Keep that in the back of your mind. And we're going to go to an obscure portion of scripture. And so keep your finger in Matthew 6. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 6. And I want to show you something in this that the Lord is resonating in my heart too. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12. Now, Leviticus is one of those books, if you're not careful, your eyes will cross and you'll nod off into a deep sleep before you capture something out of it. it it's deep, it's important, but sometimes we kind of miss the things that are in there because we got kind of lost in all the semantics. But Leviticus, in these chapters that are prior, God is giving instructions to Moses on how to build the tabernacle. You remember this tent that they built out in the desert while they're wandering around trying to figure out where the promised land is? And God gives these instructions to Moses and he says, I want you to build this and I want you to make that and I want you to arrange it like this and these are the reasons why. And you see, there was these articles. First of all, we understand the Ark of the Covenant that held the presence of God in the form of a blue flame between the wings of the cherubim. But then it was surrounded by a curtain so that flesh couldn't enter without purpose and without following the instruction of God. We had the table of showbread. We have the lamp that has the seven candles on it, the, the menorah. We had the altar of incense. And outside of that, we had the altar that there was the sacrifices on, the burnt sacrifices. And we had the big laver. It was this huge bronze bowl that had water in it so that the priests could wash their hands and feet before they entered. So obviously I'm backing out of the holy place. But there was this really interesting thing that would happen. They would bring the sacrifices in to make on a account of the sin of the people, or it was a fellowship offering, or it was some kind of an offering, they would, they would sacrifice the bull or the lamb or whatever it was, and they would cut it into pieces, and they would put it onto the altar, and then it would burn. Now, how many of you all out there have a barbecue? How many of you use a camp chef like me? I love the camp chef. Oh, so much fun. Maybe you got a Traeger. Maybe you got one of those green eggs. I don't, I don't know how that thing works. But the point is, is have you ever put a piece of meat onto the barbecue and then it was just like in a half a second, it was done? Now, I mean, if you pulled it off after 30 seconds, it's still gonna be a little pink in the middle. I'm just telling you. So when you put the sacrifice on the altar, in order for it to be a burnt sacrifice, it had to spend a little bit of time there, right? It had to be on the fire. And so what they would do is they would let the fire burn the sacrifice all night long. And then the next day, the priest would take the sacrifice that by that time was charbroiled, you wouldn't want to eat it. And he would take it outside the camp and put it onto the ashes outside the gate. So how do you get charbroiled the next day? Do you 
Do you do that by just going back home and doing your thing? Or do you think that maybe somebody has to stay there and stir the flames and add wood to the fire? Now, where I have my camp chef, it's in the wind. So one day I went out there and everything was running because believe it or not, with a camp chef, you have to have electricity to run it. It doesn't just do its own thing. It's got this little auger and it pours the pellets in and all that stuff. So it sounded like it was working, but a little notice on my little screen said, flame out. (laughs) Apparently the meat is no longer cooking. And in the same way, many times we'll bring our sacrifices before the Lord, but we forget to put wood onto the fire. We forget to tend to the sacrifice that we bring. It says to bring ourselves as a living sacrifice, right? But sometimes what we do is we bring ourselves as a living sacrifice, we pour our life out, and then we go about life, and we forget to keep adding wood to the fire. We forget to keep stirring and fanning the flame because the sacrifice needs to keep burning. It needs to keep producing smoke that goes before the Lord as an offering Are you with me? Leviticus 6.12, it says, And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. Isn't that a beautiful picture of our relationship with the Father? Our connection with the Father that says, you know, this fire will never go out. But I can't add wood to your fire. And you can't really add wood to mine. I kind of have to choose to do that on my own, right? And in the same way today, I want to encourage you that your walk with Jesus, your first is your responsibility. Just as my first is mine. The priests brought lit coals from the altar. So this is another picture of this. Just giving you some pictures because then we're going to get into the meat of what I wanted to give you today. The priests would take some of the coals from that fire that had been lit and they would put it into a censer. I'm sure it was a beautiful piece of ornamented jewelry, but they put that coal from the altar into that censer and then they would go into the holy place behind the veil and guess what they'd do? they'd put some incense on it and they'd slide it under the curtain. And as the incense was burning off of the coals from the sacrifice, the holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was would be filled up with smoke. Look what it says in Leviticus 16. And then Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house and shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take the censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. This is the key. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. You shall not see the Lord and live. So the incense would cover up the presence of the Lord so that the man could enter The glory cloud would cover the Ark of the Covenant so that the man wouldn't die when he went behind the veil. You didn't just trot into the presence of the Lord. There was a process that started at the sacrifice, went to the censer, incense brought the smoke. So this is a picture. Now, obviously, we didn't do that today in the physical realm when we walked into this building, but if you came prepared in the spirit, you actually did because you stirred You fanned into flame, you put your life on the altar, and then you brought your prayers and your worship, and you ignited it in front of the presence of God as a sweet-smelling aroma, and that's what we just did in worship. Are you with me? So the pattern is there. That's what the Old Testament is showing that we do in the New Covenant, because now we have access to the holy place because of the blood of Jesus. So all that being said, the sacrifice was made. So it's repentance. The incense was burned on the sacrifice, which is our prayer because now we're accepted because of the sacrifice and then encounter with God took place. And this was the moment where they met with God and they heard his voice. We've been given such a gift to walk into the presence of the Lord so readily. Would you agree? 
We walked in these doors today and some of us were still kind of lagging from a little bit of a lack of sleep. Maybe you hadn't had your breakfast yet. Maybe you hadn't had enough of your coffee yet and you came in. Did you know that you having access to this holy place in the Old Testament, they would have been amazed and they would have been appalled that in our common nature, we could just walk into the presence of God. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn and it gives us access into the Holy of Holies. Matthew 6, full circle, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So some of you know me, I kind of like every now and then to break down these words in the original language because I think it gives us an idea of what maybe the English language doesn't give us the full picture of. So I looked up the word seek. So seek first. So when you see the word seek, you kind of think about hide and seek. We're gonna go look for something, right? It's hidden. We need to go find it. We need to go look for it. We need to be intentional to go find it. Look what it says here in the Greek. It is the Greek word zateo, and it means to seek after or to seek for or to aim at. Seek means aim at. Any archers or any, any artillery shooters in the room, you, see, you aim at it. You've got a direction that you're going. And then I like this one, you strive after it. If you strive after something, then you're resilient, you're persistent, you're courageous to walk into the place no matter what it costs you, no matter how long it takes, no matter how much effort that you have, you're gonna keep pushing forward. That's what it means to seek. Seek. But then this important word, first. Everybody say first. first. It's the Greek word proton. I liked that. Proton, you think about like science and you think about all this kind of stuff. Or maybe if you're a kid, you think about a comic strip character. It's like proton, yeah. No, first, first is the Greek word proton. And it means this, before anything else is done. It doesn't just mean in order. It means what you do first. What you do first. It's before anything else is done. Or you can say it like this, first of all. So aim at, first of all, that's what it says. Seek first the kingdom of God. Aim at it first. When I see that, it causes me to think about my Monday or my Tuesday or my Wednesday. Does it make you think of that? And you go, well, Tuesday, I thought first about the fact that the kids are running late for school. And Wednesday, I was thinking about that meeting I have at work. And, and, you, and you realize how easy it is for us to do other things first. Now, many of you, you do your devotions at night. That's wonderful. You're seeking first the kingdom of God. But could I suggest to you, there is something powerful about doing some stuff with God right after you open your eyes before you do anything. Because if you're anything like me, man, my brain gets away from me so fast. I've been awake 30 minutes and I'm worrying, I'm anxious, I'm angry at something, I'm frustrated at a news thing I just saw. I just saw somebody's Facebook post and it, and it you know, riddled me the wrong way or whatever. And within 30 minutes, I ruined my day because I wasn't seeking first. I wasn't aiming at first what, what God wanted me to aim at first. And so this idea of first has been challenging me. It's been challenging me. I wanna talk to you today about where first starts because even in firsts, there's a first. There's a tongue twister. Actually, it's, it's not my tongue, it's my lips here. Uh, there's even a first for your first. There's a first for your first. Honestly, today's word has been deeply challenging to me because even as I prepared it, I had a resonating in my heart. I recognized how much I still need to grow in this area. I'm not gonna talk today about semantics in the word. I'm not gonna talk about do's and don'ts. I'm gonna hopefully salt the oats a little bit to cause us as a people to realize how important it is to pray. Prayer. Prayer. Now, this is a given. You're all sitting here going, really? Are we going to have a message on prayer? Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. Because if you're anything like me, I'm recognizing that my first many times isn't prayer. My first is a lot of other things. I'm not going to talk about do's and don'ts. I'm going to talk about the cultivation of a relationship with our Heavenly Father, the cultivation of a conversation that continues every single day from the moment you wake up to the moment you lay your head on your pillow. I want to talk to you about the importance of prayer, not just the hurried and sometimes exasperated sentences that we toss toward heaven throughout the day, but the conversation that we have with God first. The conversation that's planned, did you hear me? the conversation that I put onto my schedule. Now, you might not have to actually put it on your calendar, but the point of this is that I actually planned to pray. 
Because I've been discovering if I don't plan to pray, I don't do it. I don't do it. I might pray for the person who cut me off in traffic real quick. (laughs) But what about sitting with the Lord and listening for him and talking to him? What about that kind of prayer? The conversation that's planned, the conversation that's priority one, that's protected. Like I do everything I can to make sure that that time doesn't get violated. And then I crave it more than I crave oxygen. You see, God's not simply after our religious duty. Can I hear an amen to that? He's after our heart and he created us for a relationship. So in Matthew 6, I want to back up a little bit because Jesus is giving an instruction to his disciples on how to pray. And he's using this in the Sermon on the Mount. And it, it just can be so scary for us to know how to pray. And Jesus is like, it's not hard. Sometimes prayer for me just seems like this big out of control beast and I've got to know all the right words and I've got to make sure that I go for at least 45 minutes and you know, or whatever it is, you know, and it's not hard. Look what Jesus taught his disciples, Matthew chapter six, because I want you to know today that prayer is where the seeking starts. Prayer's where it starts. Prayer is first. Jesus says in verse nine, Matthew six, it says, in this manner, therefore pray, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And he continues, sometimes we forget this is still in the same context. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now we neglect that right there, but what Jesus is giving us is a key to why our prayers sometimes feel like they're being blocked. If we have unforgiveness in our heart towards anybody, He just says, if we don't forgive others, we cannot be forgiven. That is a scary verse. That literally, if there was a verse in scripture that should send a cold shiver up our spine, it's this one. Because we want God to answer our prayers, but we don't want to follow his word and forgive somebody who has trespassed against us. And so we hold it and we hold it and we hold it. And then we wonder why God doesn't answer our prayer. It's not that he doesn't want to, it's that he can't. You put the barrier between you and God by refusing to forgive somebody else when he was willing to forgive you. That's a terrifying verse. Wouldn't you agree? It's terrifying. So I just encourage you, this is kind of a side note, but maybe for some, this is the most important thing you'll hear all day long. Don't let unforgiveness block your prayers. Let me let that sink in. For don't, don't let unforgiveness block your prayers. Read it one more time, then we'll move on. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So I'm not gonna break this down. There's lots of teachings on how you can see the form form of a prayer of worship and starting with temptation and asking God for forgiveness and, and, and trespasses, all that. You can read through that. But the point is this is Jesus is saying, do it like this. Just follow my example, worship me, talk to me, love me, spend time with me and forgive one another even as I've forgiven you. Have you ever noticed that prayer is usually what gets squeezed out of your day? You ever noticed that? Like if there's any one thing in my day that's gonna get squeezed, it's my prayer time. I've developed a pretty solid morning routine Myself, I get up, I make my pot of coffee, I sit down to read the Bible every day. No excuses, I read the Bible. There's very rarely a day goes by that there's not a concerted effort to spend time in the word of God. And very rarely do I not spend that time saturated in his truth. But what I've been discovering, and maybe you're a little bit like me, this is my, my story, but put your story in it. I've been discovering that my mind, it's a wanderer. It's a wanderer and it just bounces around. It's kind of like a rubber ball in a racquetball court. Just like, and before I know it, I'm off in la-la land somewhere. And then I realized to myself, I was praying. <laughs> I, would, I had to get up and get another cup of coffee because that's important, right? 
And, and then if you know anything, if you've been on our Thursday morning prayer meeting on Facebook, you probably heard my dog bark. She barks at the worst time. She wants to go out to go potty right in the middle of my prayer. So of course she's gonna be relentless. So I have to go over and open the door. And then when I walk by the counter, there's a mess on the counter. So I got to clean the counter. And then I realized that I got to fold the afghan to put it onto the back of the couch, you know. And, and then I realized that I better check my schedule because I don't know what's coming up at nine. So I scroll through my phone. And then when I open my phone, guess what's on my phone? I've got Instagram on my phone. And so guess what I do is I push the little Instagram button and I start scrolling. Whoa, that's a giant elk. That is so cool, man. That guy is lucky. And then I scroll through and I go, whoa, that's a really cool thing. And then, and then you know, all of my notifications, I see my, my Instagram, my notifications are gone. So I'm like, oh, well, I'll pop over to Facebook and I'll check all of those too. So I go over there and, oh, look what so-and-so had for breakfast. And, ooh, look what somebody thinks about the president of the United States. And, and then I look over here and I go, ooh, ooh, that's terrible. Ooh, that's bad. Whoa, I better zoom in. And I'm 12 minutes in to being completely distracted and I had started off by praying. Any witnesses in the house? Yeah, okay, good. I thought maybe I was the only person that this message was for today and you were gonna preach it to me, but apparently we're all dealing with this because we live in one of the most distracted cultures in the world that the world has ever seen. And it's frustrating my heart because what happens is I go throughout the day and God has an assignment for me and God has something that comes up in my path and guess what, guess what hits my heart? I don't have a clue what to say to this person because I didn't spend any time with the Lord and I feel like I'm a little anemic. Anybody ever saw somebody, you, you knew you were supposed to engage, but the first thought you had was, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Prayer. Seek first the kingdom of God. That makes us ready. Unfortunately, I think that's been one of my biggest regrets lately is there's times where I don't feel ready. And if ever there was a time in our world where we need to be ready, it's right now. God didn't give the baton to Paul in 2022. He gave it to you. And he gave it to me. And he's trusting you with the greatest message that's ever been given. And he says, I've given you the source of power, which is found in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all the stuff we worry about, that comes later. So I've discovered if something's gonna get pinched out of my day, it's usually prayer and it's grieving me because I'm recognizing I'm not plugged into the heart of the Father first thing for a conversation and then even instructions on how to go about my day. Do I, do I really know what God has in store for my day? Did I ask him? Did I ask him? I found sometimes when I ask God what's up today, he'll tell me and sometimes he doesn't. But I think the important thing is, is that I ask the question because that's prayer. It's not some giant religious thing we do to impress people. It's, it's like checking in with the general of the army and saying, what do you got for me today? And God wants to do that for us. It's a conversation with God. How close would you be to your spouse or your family or your closest friends if you never held a conversation with them? What if all you ever did was read somebody's book about your spouse? but you never talk to them. God gave us two beautiful tools. He gave us his word and then he gave us prayer so that we can read about him and then we can talk to him. Oh, and we're only using 50% of our tools if we get distracted by the dog in the coffee pot every single morning and he's saying, I want to speak to you through your word, but I want you to seek me first. I want to talk to you. I want to pray. I want you to pray so that you can hear my voice. It's not hard, and yet it's the hardest thing, right? It's not hard, and yet it's the thing we have to contend and fight for in our Christian walk. If we only read about our spouse in a book and didn't look them in the eye to converse, we would have head knowledge about them, but we'd never truly know their heart. And so prayer is an intimate conversation with the God that we read about in the Bible, I'm talking about the God that for Joshua, he stopped the sun so that he could fight and win. I'm talking about the God that when Moses held up his staff, the Red Sea parted and the Israelites walked across on dry ground. 
talking about the God that when Moses went up on the mountain, the mountain was covered with clouds and there was thunders and there was shaking and there was lightning and there was a glory cloud that was so tangible that the people were terrified. And then guess what Jesus did for us when he went to the cross? He said, why don't you come on up here? Uh Uh-oh, it's scary in there. Because you know what happens is when, when we're exposed to the presence of the Lord in prayer, all of a sudden he reveals the secrets of our heart. And he says, what about this? And, and what about that? And how about we rearrange this? Because prayer is our access to God to rearrange his house. This isn't our house. This is his house. Can, does he have permission in your life to change where you put the couch? Does he have permission in your life to change where he put the dishes? The concept is this, is that many times we say, God, I want to be close to you, but I don't want you to have access to what is mine. And he says, really, if you understood this whole thing, you would realize none of it's yours. It's mine. Once God's word jumps off the page and into our conversation with our very real and present God, we realize that we've actually been missing the most precious and important part of our walk with God, which is our conversation with him every single day. So one of the things that I've been trying to do, and this is where my mind bounces around like that bouncy ball in the racquetball court, is that I have a hard time listening. I don't have a problem talking, as you can tell. <laughs> and in prayer, how, much, how, how often are we the same? We talk to God, talk, 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 talk. What, what if we got quiet? You know why talking is easier than listening? Because talking stimulates our brain and we can focus. Listening, we have to pay attention to what's happening in here when there's silence. And sometimes we've got so many voices, including our own, that we have stopped listening for the voice of God. So listen to me. Prayer is not just about talking to God. Prayer is also about listening to him, which is why we need our Bibles always going into our hearts. And here's why. This is why you need to be reading this for yourself. Because God will never speak something to you that doesn't sound like this. And so if you don't know what these words say, then you're going to sometimes be susceptible to the wrong voice and you're going to attribute it to God and it wasn't God. But when you're in this and you read things in the scriptures, when you read the red letters, when you're reading these and all of a sudden you start to get to know the heartbeat of God, when you're praying, you're going to hear something come up in your spirit and it's going to be like, whoa, I remember where it says that in here. And you're going to have a confirmation. That's Jesus talking to me. That's instruction from his word. And so I think that that is such an important thing for us to know is that God will speak to us in the tone of his word. So how do you hear the voice of God? Spend inordinate amounts of time reading this book. And then you're going to find you hear him all the time. It's so cool. He'll speak to us in the voice of his word. That's how we start listening. We read his word, then we listen for his still small voice like Elijah heard in the cave. Then that happens in our hearts and then we can discern what he's speaking to us in our right now moment. So maybe this week you've got to pray and you've got to discern, Lord, do I change jobs? Well, your specific answer, it might not, you know, say it's, um, you know, Jenny comes up to the, Lord, do I change jobs? And she goes through and she's looking for a verse that says, Jenny Nunn needs to change jobs on July. (laughs) It's not in here. So how do you discern the voice of God? You get in this word so that when you pray, what you hear in your spirit is confirmed by this word, right? So it's really important for us to be, because his voice will sound like his word and he'll give us wisdom and he'll give us truth. So good. I was just thinking about this. Many times we wrestle with listening because it's easier for us to to tell. It's easy for us to declare. Do you realize that we're living in probably one of the most argumentative times in world history? And everybody has something to say, but nobody's listening. Let Let me give you an example. You might have heard me use this before, but just think about this in your line. Okay, so we're gonna go back to this whole social media thing. It's current, so it makes sense. Okay, so you're scrolling through, you see somebody's post about something and you read it, okay? Anybody ever read a social post if you've got social media? Okay, did what they say in their post change your mind about anything? Why did you read it? Here's the other thing. If you know that it doesn't change you, then why do you post something if you know that they're not going to change based on what you posted. 
So here's the thing. What if we went to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, what do you want me to say or not say? Because then there's victory because it's from him and not from us. Because what happens is pride tells, humility listens. Let me say it again. Pride tells, humility listens. Pride tells, humility listens. Why is he saying that over and over? Because I feel we're gonna learn more by listening to God and listening to people than by just telling a whole bunch of stuff. And the more we listen, the more people's hearts will be open for the little tiny opportunities we might have to tell. I always heard it said this way, you've got two ears and one mouth because you're supposed to listen twice as much as you speak. And in prayer, it's the same way. In prayer, it's the same way. I catch myself sometimes. I'm like, man, I've been going and going and going and going. I never once stopped and caught a breath long enough for God to talk to me. I'm like, God, this was a great conversation. I go off to work and he's like, uh. I'm <laughs> like okay, hopefully this will work better tomorrow. <laughs> so I want to talk about a few layers of conversations with God. And so this is going to be kind of an equipping um, for the next few minutes, I think that this will be helpful for us. So maybe we've seen these distinctions before, but for the sake of equipping us in the area of prayer, I want to talk about a couple of simple differences in the approach of prayer as a believer. Okay, you ready? So I'm going to be very simple, but if you'll hear it with fresh ears today, you might have been a believer for decades, but today just listen like this was the first time and see if maybe you'll glean something that'll help. The epicenter of our prayer relationship with God is this. It's secret, personal prayer. That's where it starts. Secret, personal prayer. So we're still in Matthew 6, back up to verse 5, see what Jesus has to say. It says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by who? By men. Prayer can become a performance real fast if we're not careful. And it becomes a status symbol, a badge on our, on our lapel that says, look at me, I can pray real good. And that's not where it starts. It starts when nobody's watching. It starts when nobody cares. <laughs> it starts when everybody else is living life and, and, and you're finding a secret place to go and be. He says, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think that they will be heard for their many words. What he's saying is remove the religious spirit off of it. Notice when you're just getting into emotion. Notice when you're just trying to either impress yourself or impress other people and strip it back down and say, God, I'm sorry. This is not because I've got all the right words. It's because my heart is open. Sometimes we don't pray what needs to be said because we know when it comes out, it's going to sound stupid. <laughs> Think about it. Think about some of the stuff that you know you need to say to God, but you won't because you're afraid that God doesn't want to hear what you have to say. It might be off. It might be goofy. It might be something you're struggling with, but God would rather have you be honest about how you pray and talk to him than you try to formulate a religious word to impress him. He looks at you and he goes, I can see right through it. I can see right through it. I see your heart. So why don't you let me see your heart rather than just hear your fancy words? See, secret prayer removes hypocrisy. You're not impressing anybody. And that's really freeing. If you don't have to impress anybody with your prayer, then you can get real with God. And I think that's really powerful. Hypocrisy is actually an old term from the Greek that talks about putting on a mask so that you can play a part in a production, a play. And so you put the mask over your face so that you can be believable as a character. But then that means later you can take the mask off. And what Jesus is saying, don't, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't play act it. Just take the mask off and let your heart open and just talk to me in the secret place. You see, secret prayer moves us toward authenticity and vulnerability with God. I don't know if you can notice this, but I've been noticing in myself, the minute that I transition from, from, from operating in facade to going to authenticity, you can sense the transition. Like all of a sudden you go, oh, that's what I needed to say. That's where it needed to flow out. All that other stuff, it might've taken me a little bit of time to get here, but now God, this is in my heart. 
So it moves us towards authenticity and vulnerability. When no one's around, you're not trying to hold anything back. You're not trying to gloss anything over. You're just being real. God knows your heart anyway. There's healing and there's power in just saying it like it is. Now, I've heard this before. Well, if I say things out into the atmosphere, then other, all the principalities and powers will hear it too. You know what? When you're hemmed in by the blood of Jesus, you just be real with Jesus and let God know your heart and just move forward and... <laughs> Flash, where are you, Flash? Flash, what did your shirt say yesterday? I read, are you still, do you still have that? He's got a plain shirt. He, I saw him yesterday. He had a shirt on that says, I was on my knees and the devil thought he was winning until I said amen. Yeah. Oh, so powerful, you guys. So good because when you're in that secret place and you begin to declare your heart and he hems you in, you leave that place with shield of faith, with the breastplate of righteousness, with the sword of the spirit, with the shoes prepared with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, this is powerful, but it starts in the secret place, amen? He knows your heart and there's healing and power in just saying it like it is and being real with God. And so fight your distracted mind to seek just a little bit longer. Something I've been trying, I'm not very good at it yet, but when I find that my brain is bouncing around, it's like I have to imagine, just grab it and sit here just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer, God. I'm sorry I let my mind wander, so I'll spend just a few more minutes because this is your time. You'll renounce distraction, even in that moment. In the name of Jesus, I can just speak to my mind to come back to attention with the Father. If it's a pressing thought that you need to address later, something that helps me, I write it down. Just write it down. And then that way, your brain is relieved from that, and then you can go on praying. I found that I can't have a good prayer time if my phone is within arm's reach. Put your phone in the other room because your phone will steal your prayer. Decide on an amount of time. It's not a religious thing, but at least you can start to discipline your mind to spend time with him in the secret place so that you're not getting distracted. And then look for reasons. Do you remember when you were dating your spouse and you're on the phone and you're like, no, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. I love you. No, I love you more. And you're like, do you remember when you used to have to pay for a certain amount of minutes on your cell phone? Now, like now everybody has the, like infinite minutes, but, but, but before you used to get like 250 minutes a month. That'd eat up all your minutes in one night if you're not careful. But the point was, is you just wanted to talk to them a little bit longer. You wanted to hear their voice just a little bit more. You wanted to connect with the one that your heart loved and you didn't want to be the first one to hang up. What if we were like that with the father? Just a little bit longer not religious, just because I love him and because I'm about ready to face a crazy world today and I need him. I need him just a little bit longer. So the first one is secret time. The next one is, everybody say family time. Family prayer time, family prayer time. Now this one right here, I'm anticipating, so maybe you guys can help me. I'm anticipating having to plow a little bit. Are you ready? Because this is a very interesting dynamic in prayer. One of the most heinous lies of Satan is that prayer is awkward and embarrassing. For our family to possibly catch us reading our Bible and praying, and yes, even praying out loud, it's terrifying. Like, what if my daughter walks through the room when I'm praying? (gasps) But would anybody, I'm going to raise both my hands, would anybody admit that sometimes the embarrassment of being caught praying keeps you from praying at home? Oh, I know there's more of you than that. (laughs) Because what happens is, is that it's such a vulnerable thing for us to do that being caught doing it feels embarrassing. And so what happens? For an entire generation, they don't know what it looks like to pray because they never catch you seeking God. What if our kids caught us praying? What if our kids saw the bookmarks in our Bibles moving? Do you know how much peace that would bring them to know that you're seeking God on their behalf? Do you know how much power it would demonstrate into the next generation if they walked into the room and they heard you saying, oh God, give my kids wisdom today as they go to school, touch their teachers, help them. And the kids would go, my dad is praying for me. What you're doing is you're normatizing what should have always been normal. 
but the enemy has created it to be awkward and our flesh and our pride has created it to be awkward and we've stopped imparting that to our children because we're afraid they're gonna catch us having a conversation with the God of the universe. And when I've thought about this in my own life, I'm like, if there's anything I want my kids to catch me doing, it's praying. And yet that's the one thing that I don't want them to catch me doing because, oh, it's a little embarrassing. It's kind of awkward, it's vulnerable. Maybe it is and maybe that's good because remember, Pride is going to keep you from the victories of God, but humility is gonna break through into a generation and show them what it means to seek Jesus. If we're okay with our families seeing us passionate about our favorite sports teams, our hobbies, our shopping, or maybe even the gossip that we want to talk with them about, or maybe a television show we're all interested in, but they can't see us seeking God, could we admit that that's maybe a sinister strategy of the satanic realm to cause the church and the generational blessing of relationship with the father to be hijacked so that the gospel doesn't go forward into the next generation to change the world. Overcome the awkward and pursue God first and let yourself get caught. Just determine, I'm gonna get caught tomorrow praying. Oh, it might be awkward. You might, you might flush red. You might get a little embarrassed. But I'm telling you, there's power in getting caught praying. Not that you're doing it for them, but don't be afraid of someone seeing you seeking God. Set an example because more is caught than taught. If you tell your family they need to pray, but they never catch you praying, then you're not actually imparting anything to them. If you pray, they're gonna find out that as for me and my house, we pray. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And instead of telling you to do it, I'm just going to do it. And then you can catch up with me. Dads, men, lead your families. Dads, let your kids and your wife catch you seeking God. You're the spiritual head of your household. Seek him and let your families follow you in victory and in purpose. Amen? I'm speaking to myself, and I'm speaking to you. Men, don't be afraid of being caught praying. Well, it's not fancy enough. Good, it doesn't need to be fancy. Might be embarrassing. Good, be embarrassed. So many times us dads operate in so much pride, we can never let our family see us be vulnerable. And when we're vulnerable before God, they're gonna follow you into his throne room. Can I hear an amen? Set an example because more is caught than taught. Whether it's our blood family or church family, it's important that we pray together. It's important that we're caught praying by our loved ones. This instills trust and confidence and support because they know that you're leaning on God. Overcome the awkward and pursue God first and let yourself get caught by your family. Look at Exodus 33. I know that this isn't a blood Um, father, son, but the principle remains. I was thinking about this verse when I was writing these thoughts down. Exodus 33, verse 10. It said, all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. So get this, all of these potentially two to three million Israelites, they're camped around the tabernacle and they can see out of their tent that the glory of God is resting on the tabernacle. They can see the pillar of cloud. It says, and all the people rose and worshiped each man at his tent door. Verse 11, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And and catch this, and he would return to the camp. He had stuff to do. He had to go to work. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, everyone say young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. You know why Joshua went to the tent of meeting? Because Moses did. He followed Moses and he encountered God and he was so hungry because of the example set by Moses that he didn't want to leave. Proverbs 22, six, it says, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Parents, let's teach our kids how to pray. Ephesians 6, four, it says, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So parents, set an example. Don't just tell your kids to pray. You pray and let them catch you doing it. Normalize seeking God in your home and watch your family follow suit. It might take some time. 
You might have a fight on your hands because it's not normal, but don't let that detour you. Your family altar is precious and it is going to instill power into the next generation. So next to family prayer time, the next layer of prayer is prayer together as a church. So we've had secret time prayer, one-on-one with God. We've got family prayer. Now I'm gonna talk to you about the importance of praying as a church. This is more than a couple of corporate prayers together in an organized church service. This is praying with people in the body of Christ other than your immediate family. This is making a concerted effort to come together with other believers, to cry out to God in prayer, intercession, dependence, and in worship. The Bible is clear that there is power in prayer agreement. And we read it to open the service, Matthew 18, 18. It says, assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything, that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. This promise, would you say that's a promise? Would you say that Jesus was pretty clear that when we come together, two or three gathered together, that he promises he'll be there in, in our midst? This promise is why there is such a demonic move to divide the church from the church. Because when the church comes together and intercedes and prays and works through our issues and loves each other, there is power released. Oh, well, we don't all think the same things about everything. Can I just tell you? Instead of arguing about it, get on your knees and pray. Instead of arguing with each other, get on our knees and join hands and say, we want to aim at Jesus. Let's aim together. Amen? If the satanic realm can keep us divided so we don't come together to pray in agreement, it can render the church and the advancement of the gospel through the church powerless. So I think back in the last two and a half years, think with me. Think about all the terrible things we've heard said in the last two and a half years. All the stuff that's been said, and the list is endless. (laughs) Think about this. Think about all the terrible things that have been said from the body, about the body, to the body of Christ. People who are supposed to be on the same team that instead of praying, we're arguing. What would happen if we joined together in a prayer meeting and we got on our knees and we prayed together, what would happen to the argument? Because when we bow our heads before our heavenly father and we come into agreement, the Bible says he is there. You ever notice that when you get into a fighting match with somebody, if you really stop and think about it, the presence of the Holy Spirit is nowhere to be found. Our hearts don't sense the witness of the Spirit because our flesh is in operation. What if we prayed together? This is teaching me such a powerful lesson as I've been thinking about this. Instead of voicing my opinion first, maybe I should seek first the kingdom of God. His righteousness his peace, his best for you, his best for me, my intercession for the hearts and souls of people who have yet to meet him, who have no idea why we're arguing anyway. (laughs) The world looks at us and goes, what? Like, wouldn't that be terrible if we could actually see the reaction of the people in the world to the things that that we are contention, and they just go, have you ever seen that look? My little dog gives that look to me when she wants to tortilla chips. And, and, we ha- and the world looks at us and, she, and they go, what? I thought the church was supposed to be about Jesus. I thought the church was supposed to be filled with power. I thought that, I thought that Christians were supposed to be loving. And, they, and we are supposed to be loving. We're supposed to be filled with power. We're supposed to be in one accord. We're supposed to be praying together. Maybe I should pray together with you and ask God what he has in mind. Think back on something that maybe you've said or maybe you've posted on social media before you prayed. Have anybody, anybody ever said something or posted something and you regretted it later? 
Yeah. So there are not enough hands in this room. <laughs> Put both of mine up. I'll make up for it a little bit. But you know what happens? If we were to think back to ourselves and go, what if I would have taken five minutes and asked God what he thought about what I was about to say? Could he have stamped this? This is what prayer does for us. This is beautiful. And it's something so powerful when we come together and we do it as a body. Because when you do it as a body, we hold each other accountable. And we help each other when we're weak, when we're struggling, when we're frustrated. Corporate prayer would include intercession. Everybody say intercession. Intercession. Which is standing between heaven and earth and crying out for a breakthrough on behalf of someone else. So sometimes our prayers are focused on us. Sometimes God wants our prayers to be focused on somebody else, asking God for a breakthrough in their life for their benefit. Like I don't get anything out of this other than to see God glorified in you. That's intercession. Standing between heaven and earth and crying out for a breakthrough on behalf of someone else. Thought about the story in Acts chapter 12. Peter was arrested and he was in jail. So here's Peter, he's stuck in jail and he's sleeping between these two guards. And the Bible says there was actually, I I counted it up, I think there was 16 guards assigned to him. It actually gives the number. And you're like, this is Peter. I mean, you'd think a chain would do, but they want to make sure he didn't get out of prison. So let me read this. This is awesome. This is Acts chapter 12, verse five. It says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by who? Can I read that again? Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. The people of God were interceding. That's my point. Verse six, and when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Verse seven, now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, arise quickly and his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision, thought he was daydreaming. Verse 10, when they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. Come back into the city, God was saying. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. You continue to read on, you find out Peter comes to his senses and goes, oh boy, this really happened. He goes to the place where the church was praying for him, and he's banging on the door. Let me in, let me in. Finally, a little girl named Rhoda comes up to the door and she hears Peter calling and she turns around and goes back into the living room and goes, hey everybody, Peter's at the door. And they think that she, is, she has lost her brain. <laughs> Peter keeps knocking on the door and they open the door and guess what happened? The church that was interceding saw the man and the miracle and the broken prison chains right before their eyes because the agreement of two or more gathered together brought breakthrough and deliverance and freedom and Peter was set free and the gate of the city was reopened to him. Isn't that awesome? That's the result of prayer. Peter was sleeping. Peter wasn't praying, he was asleep. The church was praying. Is it good? Sometimes in that intercession, we need corporate direction. God, how do you want us to proceed? And so in Acts 13, I like this story. It says this about the apostles and Paul and Barnabas. It says in verse two, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, what that means is they were praying and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So in prayer and in fasting corporately together, God sent an assignment that changed the world. It wasn't just Paul and Barnabas's mission. It was the corporate body praying and God gave them all the direction and then Paul and Barnabas went out. So I just want to advocate for you today the importance of praying with other Christians. Many of you are involved in some kind of a small group, whether you've got one that you've done on your own in your home, or maybe you've got some friends that you meet with, and uh, we're going to be starting small groups in the fall, so more of them will be coming as as, uh, we get back into the school year. But we also have two corporate prayer meetings that happen every single week. So if you ever get a chance to be a part, I want to encourage you to do it, not because 
I'm throwing a guilt trip that you're not coming because I know every one of you is praying, but I just want to let you know about these because sometimes you don't know. First of all, 7 a.m. every Thursday morning, I go live on Facebook and we pray together. And it's crazy. We've got like 20 people that join every Thursday morning and we pray. So if you're on our Facebook page, join us some Thursday morning. It's powerful. Then on Thursday evenings at six o'clock, right here in the sanctuary, we have an intercessory prayer time and it's powerful and you're welcome to come. So I'm not saying you have to go to those meetings. I just wanted you to know when they were because corporate prayer changes things. Who knows if we might be praying for a Peter who's in prison that God wants to set free because of that prayer meeting. It's exciting. So I encourage you to come. So of course, the altars also are always open during service. If you're throughout the week and you want someone to open the sanctuary so you can come down here and spend your lunch hour, just tell us, we'll open the sanctuary up. Come spend time cultivating a heart of prayer. The point is, is that there's no reason to not be corporately praying, interceding, fasting, seeking the Lord. I wanna end with this thought. I've got one more scripture, but this thought, the fact remains, we will do what is important to us. And this is challenging to my heart because I'm thinking about my little bouncy ball in the racquetball court on my mornings. You will do what is important to you. If you are a hunting fanatic, guess what you will do? You will go hunting. Even if you have to take personal days from work because you used up all your vacation, you'll find a way. If you like to fly remote control airplanes, you will find a way to do it. If you like gardening, you'll find a way to do it. If you like coffee, your car will miraculously show up in the drive-thru. <laughs> the point is, is that if we're not doing something, then we, re- we, we have to admit that that might not be something that we have cultivated an importance to do. So like I started at the beginning of this, I'm pointing my fingers at my heart because I'm realizing that I am laying down at my side the most powerful access to the Father that I have ever had. And I've laid it down on the altar of distraction, self-serving, embarrassment, whatever it is. I hope that I've whet your appetite a little bit today for prayer. Revelation 8 I hope this is full circle for you today because we sang a song earlier that says, night and day, day and night, let incense arise. And you might've started singing that and thought, why are we singing about incense in church? This is weird. (laughs) Incense is a picture of prayer. Incense is a picture of bringing our offering before the Lord and lighting it up before him and saying, God, I need you. We read out of Leviticus, let me end in Revelation. It says, Revelation 8, verse two. John the Revelator, he says, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So there are places where it talks about the prayers of the saints being kept in bowls that could be poured out. I don't know how that all works. It's a spiritual thing. But wouldn't it be amazing to know that my prayer today could be included in the incense offering before the throne? Well, it's not fancy enough. No, it is if it comes from your heart. And it could be offered before the God of heaven and it could be applied from generation to generation until the Lord returns and the final trumpets start blowing and my prayers are in the bowl. Powerful? I want to be a part of that. And we can do that today. Amen. Would you stand with me? I just want us to spend a few minutes praying. Josiah, could I ask you to come and play?
Father. Father, today, in this body of believers, before these people, I confess that this is probably one of my biggest struggles in my walk with you. Because, Father, there is so much going on. Lord, my schedule seems to fill up and my days start before I'm ready for them to start sometimes. There's always something to do. There's always somewhere to go. There's always something to plan. There's always something to troubleshoot. There's always something distracting me. And so I confess to you in this place and in this moment, God, that I haven't made prayer a priority. I've made church a priority. I've made ministry a priority. But my gas tank gets empty because I'm not filling up the tank. Father, that picture of having a bowl full of the prayers of the saints to go up before your throne. I want my prayers in that bowl. Lord, for the Peters that are out in my life that I know of that are sitting in a prison cell. Lord, for those in my life that I know that are addicted, for those in my life that I know are walking through trouble with their marriage, for those in my life that I know are wrestling with unforgiveness, those in my life that are facing major decisions, and God, I just kind of loosely mention them, but God, I want to intercede for him. I want to, I want to see a miracle like what you did for Peter where the chains fell off and he walked back into the gates of the city restored and ready for the next season. And so, Father, I'm repenting right now of prayerlessness. Lord, this season that we're in with everything in the world upside down, I pray that the church would be right side up, would be filled with your power, would be discerning and understanding of your voice and that we would not be distracted by the things of this world, that everything would be in its proper place. Specifically, seek first the kingdom of God. Fill us up with your love, Father. Would you fill us up with your mercy, Father? Would you fill us up with the Holy Spirit that, Lord, when we look around and we see people, Lord Jesus, that we're filled with your power because we've been in the secret place, but then our families are filled with authority because we're praying together, and then our church is filled with your glory because, Lord, we're praying together, and we're not and we're not bickering, and we're not fighting, and we're not arm wrestling over stuff that's a non-issue, but we're focused on you, and we're praying for the heart of the people who don't know you yet. God, there is souls that don't know you yet. We want to introduce them to you, Lord. People in our family, people that are broken in our family, they're in an identity crisis. They don't know who they are. God, they may have looked like they've rejected you, but you can meet them in the middle of the night. You can meet them, Lord, in a vision or a dream. You can meet them through a chance encounter with a believer that's been praying. Lord, you can meet them. So, Lord, we pray for our loved ones and we pray for those in our life, God, that are desperately needing a breakthrough. God, we ask you for your mercy. We pray, Father, for our world that right now is broken. Lord, everywhere I look, it's just like pieces that just shattered, just pieces everywhere. And Lord, the thing that's crazy to me is I look around and it's like there's broken pieces and everybody thinks it's okay. It's not okay, God. We ask you for a restoration. We ask you for a revival. We ask you for your truth to permeate the hearts of people that, Lord, they're loved by you. even the ones we struggle with, especially the ones we struggle with. Lord, we pray for our country. Pray for our administration. We pray for our lawmakers and our leaders. We pray for those that are calling out decisions. Lord, we pray for the peace of Israel. We pray, Lord Jesus, for what is continuing to happen in the Ukraine and Russia and all those things that are happening. We're asking you, Lord, to pour out your revival. Lord, I'm praying that you would do a work in our American church, that, Father, we would be walking in uni-vision, <laughs> unity, lifting up Jesus, lifting up Jesus, touching the pulpits in America, Father God. Father, we're asking you as a church that you would keep this place healthy and that you would help us, Lord, to stay focused on what you've called us to do. God, we ask you for wisdom. Because, Lord, there's a lot of stuff that we don't always know where to stand because it's just so wishy-washy. 
But God, I pray that you would keep us centered, you keep us focused, that we would be men and women of God. Lord, I pray for our families, bless marriages, bless single parents today. Bless households, Lord, that maybe prayer has been an embarrassment, but now, Father, it's gonna reignite today. Father, may we get caught praying. Lord, if there's anything that we need to be caught doing, it's praying. So God, I pray that you would cause us to be courageous, to pray the things that we never thought we could pray, and to believe you for breakthroughs and miracles in ways like we have never known before. Because God, the gospel's gotta go forward. Lives need to be transformed. So God, here we are. We wanna seek you first. We wanna seek you first before all else, before all else. As we go about our week, Lord, as we step into this world, Lord, as we step from this building, may we be a people that are filled to the brim. May we honor you, may we live lives of integrity, and may you fill us with your gospel power. Touch this family, God, and may you use us this week. And the people of God said a mighty amen. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us next time for another deep dive into the foundation stones of our faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about Refuge City Church or to join our giving team to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ moving forward and making resources like this podcast available into the future, visit refugecity.church.